Well, as you know, as I, I think we said it last week, uh, we're transitioning now in our teaching time to, um, to working through the book of Titus. And a number of the Boundless leaders are going to be uh, teaching through that this summer. So we are excited about that. And it's going to be really helpful, obviously, because it's the Word of God. But um, it's really going to dovetail our series that we did on a healthy church and, and characteristics of a healthy church. Um, in more of like a, an expositional way, I guess you could say. We'll be working through Titus, and you're going to see a, a number of those same themes resurface. And so, as I was reading this week, one author even called this letter to Titus uh, a letter about church health. And I think we're going to see that today as, we're, as we overview it. So each week, a different teacher is going to take the next passage, and they're going to work through it. And that's going to give you guys a chance to hear from other leaders and as well as give them a chance to, uh, to hone in their gifts or even test their gifts. Some of, some of the guys, this will be the first time they've taught. So uh, it'll be exciting um, to help them test their gifts and see if they, they have the gift of teaching. And uh, each week, I'll go ahead and pass this out. Um, this is for after the lesson, or I'll, maybe I'll give one to you, and you can, you can pass it around. Take one and pass there. Um, this is a study sheet that... Uh, we'll probably be developing as we go each week. So you can take it home after the lesson, kind of think back through it. Uh, I think we're going to be recording these messages, so uh, you, can, you can work back through each lesson uh, during the week and just with some extra questions, things to reflect on. Um, it's basically just giving us a chance to, uh, to guide some meditation for you and give you some stuff to talk about with each other too. But more on that in a bit. So, um, what I'm going to do this morning is essentially orient us to the letter, kind of give us an overview of Titus. Uh, We will um, try to get this sort of macro framework of this book so that we can get the most out of it in weeks to come. So, I'm trying to set us up uh, for further study. So, what what we'll do this morning, I've just framed it up as as some questions. I'm going to ask some questions, and then we're going to seek to answer those questions together. Um, And hopefully, we'll have some time at the end, this will be short. And so have some time at the end to field any questions from you, if you have any, um, on the book itself as we get going. So if you're not already there, you can turn to the book of Titus. How many of you, just curious, have, have set through um, any kind of teaching from Titus beyond just like one or two passages? Okay, we've got one. All right, nobody. Okay, fresh meat. Um, no, this is, this is good. So if, if you have heard some teaching, or maybe you've, you're familiar with it in the past, you, you may have heard this letter referred to as one of the pastoral epistles. How many of you have heard that phrase? Pastoral epistles. Okay, so there's some familiarity there. Well, Titus is part of this group of letters um, that we've historically called the pastoral epistles that were written by Paul. And that really leads us to our, our first question today. So um, as those papers are coming around, and feel free to flip it over and write on the back um, if you want. Um, what exactly are the pastoral epistles? I think it's good to start there. Talk about this kind of group of letters and what's going on. So what are they? Well, they're a group of three of Paul's letters, and they're conveniently arranged together in our Bibles. It's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So 1 Timothy, something's scraping here. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And 
in our English Bibles, Titus is the, is the third of those three letters. So if you go to the left, you'll see 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus. And what's uh, special about these letters is that Paul wrote them to specific people, uh, not necessarily to the churches as a whole. So you think of Ephesians, where we were just in Ephesians in Thursday nights. That was written to the church at Ephesus. But these letters, these pastoral epistles, are written to specific people. Now, we should put a little asterisk beside the statement that it, it wasn't written necessarily to the churches as a whole, because I think in Paul's mind, it would have been understood that Titus and Timothy would share these letters with the churches that they were involved with. Um, <laughs> if for no other reason, then it, it confirms Titus's and Timothy's authority uh, from Paul. Uh, so he's authorized, these guys are authorized to do what they're, what they're trying to do here in these churches. And so he expected these letters to be shared, but for now it's just important to realize that Paul wrote them to these two individuals, Timothy and Titus. And another thing that makes these pastoral epistles special is that they're likely some of Paul's final letters that he wrote. Now we know that he wrote a lot of letters. And in God's providence, only some of them were retained, put in our Bibles and in the canon. But these are some of the, the last letters that, that Paul wrote. And 2 Timothy was probably the last one, the last of those three. And he wrote it right before his death, his martyrdom. So one of the things that would naturally be on our minds if we were Paul then would be making sure that churches were in good hands in the future, right? You're on death row, you're an apostle, you've been tasked by Christ to plant churches and raise those churches up to maturity, you're thinking about transition. Uh, you're thinking about who's going to come after you and is that transition going to be a good one. And that's exactly what we see in these, these letters. There are encouragements to Timothy and Titus to remember what they learned from Paul, stay faithful in it. There's also an emphasis on appointing faithful elders. So you're going to see that in, in 1 Timothy and Titus. And that's important because they would be able to pass down faithful teaching and, and model faithful living for, for these churches. But more on that in just a minute. The point here is that these letters share a lot of similar themes, and so that's why people have grouped them together over church history. Similar individuals, Timothy Titus, similar themes, similar occasions for writing. But the letters are not obviously, they're obviously not identical. So you've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, three separate letters. They were written at different times. Even though they came toward the end of Paul's ministry, they were written to two different people, Timothy and Titus, with different propensities. They were written also to two different areas. Okay, So 1 and 2 Timothy were written to Ephesus, in the church, the church at Ephesus. And, and Titus was written to Crete. Ephesus, if you compare the two, Ephesus was sort of high society, if you want to think about that, a lot of wealth. And Crete was more like the rough and tumble backcountry. So, highly immoral, uh, a lot going on on Crete, a lot of, a lot of deception, a lot of uh, just thievery. So, not an easy place to, to plant churches. Um, you, you think about the contrast again. Ephesus, on the one hand, where Timothy was at, had established churches. 
Um, and Paul had personally ministered in Ephesus for several years. So you had Paul there. But on the, at Crete, then they were young churches, freshly planted, and not properly organized yet um, with elders. So the situations are different, for sure, and yet you see um, some of the same themes coming together in some of these letters. So I think at the end of the day, it's best to think of the pastoral epistles as a cluster of Paul's letters, a cluster um, that, that share similar themes and were written for similar purposes. And obviously they're written to similar kinds of individuals, Timothy, Titus, which brings us really to our second question, right? The first one is, um, first question is, what are these pastoral epistles? And then second, who are these guys, Timothy and Titus? Who are the guys that, that Paul is writing to? Were they pastors? What do you think? What's that? Okay. Appointing them to be pastors, about to be pastors. One thought. Any other thoughts? You would think, what's that? Pastors, church planters, yep. So you would think with the name pastoral epistles they would be pastors, right? Well, well let's look a little more carefully maybe at what these guys are doing. And maybe church planter kind of ideas is maybe a bit, a bit better, but I think there's, there's something that really gets at the heart of this. So, let's, let's, were they pastors? The name implies it, pastoral epistles, but that's not, you know, nowhere do we see that. That's just what people have named these letters. And it's really a tough question to answer, okay, about who these guys are. Like, what, 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 what's their title? What's their role? Because on the one hand, they did a lot of pastoral-type stuff, like preaching and teaching and leadership development, installing elders. On the other hand, they're constantly on the move. Timothy, Titus, and a lot of Paul's helpers are, are always on the move. In the Bible, when we see these guys, they're either traveling with Paul, or they're being sent out by Paul to other churches for, temporarily, or they're being left um, in certain places, or they're being called by Paul to come back from those places and to be recommissioned. So we see this actually in our letter to Titus. So just, just look in verse 5. Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete. So, with Paul, you left him there. That's why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. But now look at the end of it. Look at the end of the letter. Verse 12, chapter 3. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do two other guys, so he's trying to figure out which one he's going to send. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis for I have decided to spend the winter there. So, obviously, Titus isn't a permanent fixture here in this church in Crete, like a pastor would be, or an elder. Same thing. So, they're constantly on the move. And if we look at the New Testament, the pastors and elders are typically more stationary in that they shepherd one congregation, like ours do here at Timberlake. Like, we're not moving about all the time. It's not wrong for us to minister to other congregations. We do that on occasion. But TBC is our flock. It's the people that we're entrusted to care for. And, and so we stay here. We spend most of our time here. But Timothy and Titus were on the move, and they were a functional extension, I think, of Paul himself. So 
even though it's popular to call Timothy and Titus senior pastors, I've even heard some people say that, like they call them senior pastors and they kind of defend the senior pastor role by Titus and Timothy, I don't think that's helpful because they're not functioning in that way. That's not really the case here. It's more accurate to think of them as Paul's assistants or his representatives or his delegates. Does that make sense? There's not like a formal role of these guys. They're just sort of extending Paul and extending Paul's ministry. They were sent, or in Titus's case, they were left by him on Paul's behalf, I think that's key, with his authority as an apostle to extend Paul's ministry, right? And so they're the ones on, on his behalf that are doing what Paul is not able to do or Paul's another place, so they've, they've got to establish elders and other things that we see. So that leads us to our third question then. So that's who these guys are. Well, what, what were they supposed to do? Like, what did Paul, in particular, for our study, what did Paul want Titus to do? And that gets, that gets to a, the question of purpose. So why did he write this letter? Well, like we just saw, Paul and Titus were at one point ministering together on the island of Crete. Okay, so Crete's an island. And they were ministering there together. And like we said, there's no easy island. It was no easy island to do ministry on. It was well known for its wickedness. Uh, even their own people knew that about themselves. So look, look at verse 12. Paul says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So that's like self-assessment, right? The Cretan prophet, uh, unbelieving prophet, pagan guy. But he's like, yep, we're bad, you know. So uh, very well known, not an easy place to, to try to plant churches or do ministry. But churches were planted in the cities on, the, on this island. So there, was, there were thriving congregations throughout the cities, and scholars estimate that there were about 20 cities on the island. We don't really have details of, how many cities had churches, but it looks like a lot of them did. So, multiple cities on the island, multiple churches, and so God had blessed the the evangelistic efforts of Paul and Titus. But for whatever reason, Paul had to leave before he felt good about the conditions of these churches. There were things undone, in other words, and that's the language he uses here in verse 5. I left you here to put what remained into order, right? So there was a, there was a work in progress sign over the churches in, in Crete, at least according to Paul. He wasn't satisfied with, with where they were at. So he left Titus behind with some specific directions for these fledgling churches in this very pagan environment. And to make matters worse, okay, so not only are these Christians, these new, a, lot, a lot of new believers coming out of just straight paganism and immorality, tempted with their own flesh, but they've got false teachers now that have, that have crept in to these churches, threatening the purity of the gospel itself. So they're adding things to the gospel. They're posing as Christians. They're Jewish. They're posing as Christians, and they're adding the law to the gospel, the purity of the gospel. And then they're modeling some very bad behavior for these, for these young believers. So, Titus had his work cut out for him, didn't he? <laughs> Paul left him there uh, to, 
to do some intense work among these churches. But thankfully, Paul gave Titus some very clear instructions in this letter. And it's, it's really no surprise. I think, I think the, the reality here is I think it's tempting to be overwhelmed if you're Titus. All right, so you're doing ministry, you've kind of watched Paul, and now you're, you're doing it yourself. I mean, Titus was, a, was seasoned at this point. Paul's not going to leave a novice to do this work. He's seasoned, but I think this letter represents some clarity. You know, he's been at it a while, and now Paul's writing to him again, reminding him, clarifying for him what, what the, the, the things that Titus needs to be focusing on are. And it's no surprise, then, that, that Paul knew that Titus would need help in this mission, right? So there's some 20 cities, churches in the cities. They're all undone, and there's false teachers. So Titus is just one dude. So he needs help. And so the first thing Paul tells Titus to do is to multiply himself, like Paul had done with Titus, right? So multiply himself. Look in verse, look in verse 5. He, he starts this letter. If you, if you look in your, your little outline, sorry, I just told you to look at, in the Bible. Look on your sheet that you have. There's a rough outline here of the letter, and it's, it's very rough, very, very broad. Um, but he starts with this, this point number one, this emphasis on leadership in the letter. He tells Titus to install faithful elders in each of these churches in verses 5 through 9. So he says, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might, you might put what remained into order. And in Paul's mind, what that means the way to shore up this work is by making sure that elders are appointed in every town. So multiple elders, elders plural, in every town or every city, every city that has a church. And he says, just as I directed you. So Paul had given him these instructions in person before he left. Now he's reminding him again, stay focused on the task of leadership development. And these elders then have to have qualifications, verses 5 through 8, because they need to model godly living for these believers, these young believers in Crete. And they need to be able to teach, verse 9, it says, because they need to be able to build these folks up in what's true and proper doctrine, and then they need to be able to rebuke those false teachers that are in the mix. Verse 9. And that's what Paul, where Paul goes to in the next paragraph. He says that they've got to be able to rebuke and teach because there are lots of errant teachers who need to be corrected or just flat out disciplined out of the, the Cretan church. Look in verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Talking about, they call them Judaizers. We'll get, I'll let whoever's te- te- teaching that text to fill you in on that. What's going on there? The point is, they're causing real problems by polluting the gospel and by living immoral lives. So, Paul tells Titus in very dramatic terms to stop these guys. Stop them. So, emphasis on leadership, right out of the gate, in appointing faithful leaders who can stop, help Titus stop these false teachers, these false leaders, if you want to call it that. And after this emphasis on leadership, Paul then transitions... um, by telling Titus the next thing he needs to focus on in chapter 2, and it's teaching. Teaching. <laughs> you read these paragraphs, and it, you come away, it's like, teach, 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 teach. Teach them, Paul. Teach them, Titus. Teach them. Teach with your words. Teach by your example. 
teach these believers. Look, just look at me. Verse, the chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 15. Declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Verse th- chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive. Verse 8 of chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So you get it, kind of get this, this feel through this whole middle portion of the letter, this, this second, second section, which is really the central portion of the letter, that Titus is to give himself to teaching. Teaching both in his words and by his example. And we could say it like this. Paul emphasizes the need for these young churches to learn to live out the implications of the gospel that they've believed. Okay? These churches need to learn to live out the implications of the gospel that they've believed. To learn to bring their lives into submission to Christ to live differently than they used to. I love how practical this is. Paul tells Titus to spell it out for every subgroup in the congregation. Older men, your life should look like this. Older women, your life should look like this. And you should teach younger women. So that implies younger women, your life should model the older women. And younger men, your life should look like this. Slaves, your life should look like this. And then, after talking to every subgroup, he connects it all to what Christ has done for them in the gospel. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. So he roots it. He roots their behavior, how they should live, in what Christ has accomplished for them in the gospel. Then, after he hits every subgroup, he pans out and addresses the congregation as a whole. And and in particular, how the congregation should interact with the world around them. This unbelieving Christian culture. These rulers and authorities that are placed over them. How should they interact with them? And again... So that's chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And again, Paul, it's not just moralism. Paul's wanting them to see, act this way, verse 3, because of the gospel. Because of of how the gospel motivates you um, to live this way. And so that's essentially what Paul's telling Titus in this central part of the letter. Faithful teaching, he knows, will inevitably lead to faithful living. And if it's not, it's not faithful teaching. It's not faithful teaching if your lives are not being transformed. Because, like we'll see in chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and this same grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. The same grace trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Right now. Right on that island of Crete. Right with the bars you used to walk past and the the sexual immorality you used to participate in. It teaches you to be different now. And if it's not, it's not grace. It's not the grace of God that Paul proclaimed. So that is the central part of this letter, and it's, it's really focused on this, the subgroups in the church and then the church as a whole and how they interact with unbelievers. And these, they need to be faithful in good works. And that's a phrase that you're going to see over and over and over again in this letter. Good works, right? So... Again and again and again, Paul is very concerned 
that these believers learn to progressively live differently, uh, to give themselves zealously to good works, because he knows that this adorns the gospel's beauty. The gospel's beautiful all by itself. But the lives, transformed lives of Christians adorns the gospel, Paul says. It protects the church from, from uh, slander that's, that's not true. You know, so it's like accusations of hypocrisy. Good works pre- prevent that. It doesn't mean it's going to eliminate them altogether. People are going to slander us until Christ comes home. So Christ comes to, to earth. But at least um, it won't be accurate if we're devoting ourselves to good works. And that's the, the central thrust of this letter. And then toward the end of the letter... So this is your major point number three on your, on your outline there. Paul makes his way back to an emphasis on leadership, again, in a, in a kind of backdoor way. And it really parallels the first unit of this letter. So again, he tells Titus that he needs to stop these errant teachers in verse 9, and they're causing problems. So he says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. That's what they all got involved in, these false teachers. For they are unprofitable and worthless, but as for a person who stirs up division around these, this errant teaching, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinfully self-condemned. So he's meaning, hey, deal with that. Okay? So he's coming back to that same emphasis on leadership to deal with the, with the false leaders. And then he pivots to talking about faithful men again as part of the mission Paul says he's relieving Titus with another co-worker because apparently he needs Titus for something else relating to the mission. So he's going to bring Titus back, sub him out with somebody else who can keep going. And then he says, do your best to speed Zenos, verse 13. Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good work so as to help cases of urgent need, not be unfruitful. So he's telling them to make sure that the two other gospel workers, Zenos and Apollos, are provided for, and they're sent out by the Christian church with all their needs met. And that's an aspect of the good works that Paul's wanting them to do. It's like, be generous and meet their needs, send them out so that the mission can continue. So you see, it's not, it's not just about displaying and adorning the gospel, even though that's important. It's about adv- the good works help advance the mission. Because now the people who used to hoard their money and spend it on their pleasures are now giving it to help support these gospel workers Sending them out, um, like he says here in verse 14, helping cases of urgent need and not being unfruitful. So it's really the good works here connected to the mission, and Paul knows that. So Paul knows that to get these churches obedient means that more churches are going to be planted. More teachers are going to be raised up, sent out. And so he he ends where he began with this emphasis on leadership and advancing the mission of Christ. So after the survey, let's, let's synthesize a little bit. What's this letter all about? It's one of your questions, by the way, for homework. I want you to have to synthesize it yourself. Because I did it, and it took me a long time, and it was very helpful. Okay? Why did he write it? I'll give you my crack at it. I think he wrote it to clarify Titus's focus in establishing these young Christian churches. Clarify his focus and then to motivate him in it. So it's a heavy task. 
He knows there's lots of needs. And he knows Titus is probably tempted to weight things more importantly than other things. Like neglect leadership development. Maybe be afraid of some of these high-powered Jewish false teachers who seem to know the law better than him and not rebuke them. Or to just kind of give up and, and just think his life doesn't matter and his, his example isn't, isn't that important. And he's saying, no, you have to teach. You have to, you have to model. So Titus has been at it a while. And Paul's reminding him, I think, he's clarifying Titus's focus in establishing these young Christian churches and then motivating him to, to continue in it. So all these imperatives like, hey, declare these things, exhort these things, don't give up. Do it with all authority, with, with the authority of, of God's word, of Christ himself. Let no one disregard you, verse 15. I think, by the way, chapter 2, verse 15 is kind of the, if you want to think about, like the hardest punch of the letter for Titus, it's that one. And, it's, it, and it comes right in the middle of the letter, square in the middle of it. And so I think it's really the point, the punchline of, of his exhortation to Titus. And his goal is that the church has healthy leaders who can protect it from false ones. Who can teach and model faithfulness in life and doctrine, thus helping these congregations learn to live radically different lives in the midst of this pagan culture. And this will then continue Christ's mission and will aid in mobilizing more gospel workers who can plant more churches. So we could say it even more simply like this. Titus is about establishing healthy churches. That's what it's all about. Establishing healthy churches. So that's, our, that's really the answer to our third question. Why do you write this letter? What's it all about? What do you want Titus to do? Pretty clear. Now, why, why, fourth question. Why am I excited to study it this summer? Well, I've already told you, but I'm excited because of God's word. Um, if you were in the first service, it's a thrill to be able to hear God's word in any, in any level. But I'm excited to work through this letter because it's going to be a great parallel to our series that we just finished on the church, right? So you can, you can think of Titus as more of a sequential exposition version of what we taught uh, just in weeks past, right? So we, we worked through the, the different marks of a healthy church, and you're going to see a lot of those resurface here. And I'm excited because... Uh, Lord willing, you're going to be installing two elders of our own this summer here at the church. It's the first time in Timberlake history that we will install two men that are not paid by the church as elders. Make sense? Typically they're called lay elders, but meaning they, just don't, they don't work here, but they're part of the pastoral team. They're part of the elders. And guess what? One of them is our own Rich Brown. Yeah. So that's an obvious choice. Um, so we are excited about that. And you're going to be hearing more about that soon from Pastor Brian when he gets back from, from Florida. But I'm excited to, to work through this letter, especially this, this emphasis on leadership development, and then see it, see it playing out this summer um, here at the church as we actually appoint some additional elders ourselves. And I'm excited of, of uh, how clearly and simply Paul connects how we live with what we believe. I just I love the simplicity of this letter. Um, I think it's going to be a challenging study and an encouraging study. 
And some of my favorite summaries of the gospel itself come from the book of Titus. I love it. Um, So I think it'll be very useful. And finally, I'm excited because you're going to get the chance to hear from other teachers this summer, other leaders in our, our ministry. I'm always refreshed, encouraged, convicted when I sit under these men's leadership, and they're my friends, and they are invested in my life, and they're invested in your lives, so uh, they have insight in the Word, and so I'm thrilled to, to bring ourselves under it together, and me get to hear, hear teaching um, as well. And that really brings us to our last question, and this will be short, how, how can you get the most out of the study? Question number five, how can you get the most out of our study this week, uh, this summer? obviously come, um, if you're not here, I'm going to get it. Um, if you're going home, sorry. You can listen to it online. Um, start reading through Titus. That would be what I would say. So just work that in at some point in your normal communion with Christ times. Start reading through Titus. Get familiar with it. And then work through the reflection questions from the, the, the week's lesson. So I gave you some questions there in your paper. Um, and we'll, we're going to develop those as we go through. So uh, work through those reflection questions and then talk through some of that with other people, especially at our fellowship events we're going to have on Thursdays and other things. You're not bothering me or anybody else. If you want to got questions about Titus, don't tell anybody, but I would much rather do that. Talk about that than jump over a net for volleyball into the pool. I'm getting too old for that anyway. I did start jogging, though, and I'm very sore. So... It's like, Mary, I'm falling apart. Like, what is going on? I'm too young, for the, too, too young to uh, fall apart here. So, uh, work, do, yeah, let's, let's talk through those. Don't be afraid to share what you're learning with each other or f- with us. And don't be afraid to ask for help when some of these things are hard to implement or if it raises more questions for you. Um, that's literally why we're here. So, uh, take advantage of these fellowship times and, and just any other time. So, we got a couple minutes left. What do you have any questions about the book as a whole? Maybe I can field, or maybe I'll punt and say like, "Yep, yeah, gotta, gotta deal with that later." Yeah, David. Right, yeah, I think, I think they function sort of on his behalf. So you've got basically what you have. The reason why it's difficult is you don't have a, any kind of title for these guys. So you've got apostles, that's a title. And then you have pastor, elder, bishop, which is all the same overseer, all the same thing. And you've got deacon. But you don't really have anything for these guys. They're, they're, they're zipping in and out. Maybe the best thing, evangelist. Maybe the, you know, so ba- ba- that word, evangelist, just has the idea of you're going with the evangel, so it kind of our church planter idea. But it's really, Paul, it's a misnomer to think about Paul as just like planting churches and leaving them. Paul would come back to those churches. He would revisit those churches. He stayed in Ephesus for several years, um, making sure that those churches were rooted, developed, leadership was established. And so I think that's why it's helpful to see these guys as an extension of Paul's ministry, because it's, if Paul could have been there, he would have been there on Crete. And so since he wasn't, he's sending one of his chief guys, Titus, to stay there until the work's done. Meaning, leaders are established and the congregation is sort of autonomous at that point under, its, under the care of its own elders. That's why, that's why they can come and go, because the goal is to establish them 
then those elders would then perpetuate more elders out of that. Yeah, this, again, I'm saying missionary is not in the Bible. So the evangelist is. I know what we mean by missionary, but so, so, so many times we think missionary, we have all these, like, there's a spectrum of what we think about when we think about missions and missionaries. I'm just trying to say, let's just deal with what we see here. And you've got a capital A apostle who has these delegates that are helping him with these church planting initiatives. And then I think from within those churches, you're going to see more evangelists, typically how we think of church planter, who takes the evangel out, the gospel, and plants those churches, but then make sure. But the point here is that it's not done until leaders are established and they're, and they're able to be sort of dedicated to the Lord. You see that in Acts 14 as well, with Paul going back to the churches that he planted, making sure the elders were established, and then he's like dedicates the elders and the congregations to the Lord in Acts 14. Yeah, good question, though. Clear as mud, right? I don't know what happened. It'd be interesting to kind of like read some church history and some of the, some of the early church sources. Like, what, what did these guys do after the apostles passed off the scene? I would assume they kind of slotted into some individual churches and, and, and pastored there. That would be my guess, but I don't know that. Maybe there's some church historians here. We'll find out. All right, Rich, it's your assignment for next week. Oh, no, actually, I'm up next. Sorry for the, uh, my assignment for next week. Figure that out. Okay. What else? Any other questions? Check on the time here. Tychicus, you do. I believe we just looked at him in Ephesus, or in Ephesians, right? Um, I don't know off the top of my head about um, Artemis, but they may like show up in lists. of They, they were Paul's, like, other, other guys like Titus. They were sent in and out. So I think you see, I think, maybe I'm just making that up. I just, just finished Ephesians, so I should remember, right? Yeah, um, verse Ephesians six twenty one, he was sending Tychicus to the Ephesians to deliver the letter that he had written to them and uh, encourage them. So similar, similar function there. Yeah, but a quick search on that, you know, we could we could see. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were authorized. I mean, so to receive to receive one of these guys was was similar to receiving Paul. So they weren't like immature, you know, second class guys. I mean, they, Timothy was a little timid at times, but so would you. You'd be timid too if you had to like do what Timothy had to do. So Paul's encouraging him in some of these things, but no, they were Paul brought them with him, and part of his strategy was that they spent a lot of time with Paul, and. They watched him suffer. They watched him. They listened, they listened to his teaching. Um, and there was already some measure of faithfulness in their lives before Paul asked them to come. And if there wasn't, he didn't want to take them. So you think of John Mark, who um, John Mark traveled with Paul at one point 
and then abandoned them when they got tough, when the persecution kind of got hot and heavy. So then it came back around, and um, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him on this next journey, and Paul said, no, I don't, I don't want to take him, because we don't know why. It just said that there was a disagreement, and then they, they agreed to disagree, and they, Paul and Barnabas parted, and Paul took Silas, and Barnabas took John Mark. So my thought is that Paul understood, in Paul's assessment of the situation, is that, um, I'm losing track of all these names, John Mark, he wasn't sure if, if it would be profitable for John Mark to go with him again. Like if John Mark was mature enough at that point to withstand the difficulties that they were going to encounter. So it's very, you see, Paul's very, very much like trying to do what's best for these individuals. He's trying to place them in, in the situations that are appropriate for them. They're not going to overwhelm them. And so in these cases, it shows you that you have, that he has a lot of confidence in Titus to give him this sort of, this sort of commission. But yeah, I think Paul's strategy was like, he grabs Timothy. You see this in Acts 16, I think. He grabs Timothy because he's, he's proven already to a certain extent. And then he brings Timothy with him. And he models for Timothy everything he wants Timothy to do. Then when Timothy's sort of competent in those things and can articulate them back and is proven in his character, then he gives him these commissions to do these, these, uh, these difficult works. So Titus the same way. Yeah, is that helpful? So Paul, Paul's in it. So her question was, how biblical is it that people just sort of have an itinerant ministry? They're just kind of traveling around, ministering to different congregations without really a home church or anybody sending them. It's not biblical. So Paul himself was sent from Antioch, the church in Antioch. And Paul came back when he was done with the journey to Antioch. And he gave a report to Antioch. He was in submission to Antioch. Like Paul himself is an apostle, raised up by the Spirit out of that church, sent out by them authorized by the church. So, yeah, that's a big deal. Like, this, this whole, because you're, you're sort of out on an island. You're, you're sort of self-authorized, if you will, as, as the expert in some area, and you're going around. And not, is the, can the Lord use that? I'm sure he can use it. But is that best? No. You know, it doesn't, if you're doing an itinerant-type ministry, you want to have the authorization of a home church that can vouch for you, that understands, okay, this is actually a need, and they've helped you assess, okay, what you're doing is actually fitting a need for the churches. You're, you're uniquely gifted in that way, and so go do that. Yeah. But yeah, you definitely want that, that church involvement. That's most biblical. Yep. Excellent. Good question. All right, let's wrap it up. And then if we've got any more, we'll let uh, folks come in. Um, if you have any more questions, feel free to talk now, or we can chat at the Henry's farm while we're lighting stuff on fire. Sounds perfect. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you just for your word. Thank you that you guide us in all, in, into all truth through your revelation. And I pray that you would um, just give us insight by, the, by your spirit in, in not only what it means, but how, how our lives should change as a result. And thank you for um, Titus. Thank you for the situation and um, for preserving this letter for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.